Thank you, Lauren. Good morning, church. Wonderful to see you, wonderful to meet you. Uh, I have been serving here in uh, the Detroit area with Woodside for about two and a half years. Before that, uh, we were in Ohio. I was born and raised in Ohio, and I knew there was something special when I met a blue-eyed, beautiful Michigan girl at the Ohio State University. So, uh, yes, so my wife grew up in this area. She went to the Ohio State University. We met, fell in love, and the rest is here we are 20 plus years later with three great kids and serving the church uh, here in, in the Detroit, Michigan area. So it's great to be with you. Also, not only does our, our relationship with uh, Lauren go way back, but my wife also has a, a great relationship with uh, Meg. And so we've gotten to know CT and Meg. We've known them for a while now. Uh, we preceded them. Uh, just before they came to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, we were on our way out. Uh, but we got to know them through just various relationships and connections uh, that really largely go back to my wife being here. So I ride her coattails in this area, uh, which is totally fine. Totally fine. Well, it is wonderful to be with you, and what we are doing today is we are continuing in our series called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And this is so important as we are laying, of course, the foundation of our faith is the Word of God. But it's also very good to study the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, to understand these confessions, so to say, of the faith. They also, of course, are built upon the foundation of Scripture, and they help us, as we've been learning, to consolidate or to concisely communicate the things that we believe. And so, if you would, we're going to read it, as my understanding is you have been doing, and let's read this together, if you would, as uh, we look and continue to look at the Apostles' Creed. It begins, I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we have studied the Apostles' Creed, it brings us to what is really, I would argue, the crux of the Creed, so to say. And it is that statement the forgiveness of sins. As you look at many faiths across uh, the globe, this is one of the things that is unique and distinct about Christianity is the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, gave himself up to die so that you and I might receive the forgiveness of sins. As we look in the text, I want you to turn your Bible or locate on your electronic device, John chapter 8. And we're going to look at this passage, and it really highlights this truth that Jesus forgives sins. And that's our big idea that we're going to look at today, is that Jesus forgives sins. 
And to just give you a little bit of a roadmap, we're going to look at the reality that forgiveness requires awareness of guilt, forgiveness removes all condemnation, and forgiveness renews a dead life. Now with those things in mind, I also want to address, you will find in your Bibles probably a little bit of a, a note, a footnote perhaps, or, or even an insertion into the text beginning in John chapter 7. And it probably reads something like this. The following passage is not found in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. Without delving into the complexities of textual criticism, I do want you to be aware that one of the reasons you find this passage still in your Bible, even with that note, is very important. Look at a few things here. Is that statement true? Yes, it is true. The passage that we're going to look at today is not found in the most reliable and the earliest manuscripts. However, with that being said, we do include it in the text, which is why we're studying it today. A few reasons why. First of all, even though it's not found in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts that help us compile what we have today as scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it is found in a lot of the manuscripts. In fact, so many that it was decided upon by those who compiled scripture to include it in the text, albeit with a note. The other things that we find to be true of this passage is it seems to be consistent with the character and ministry of, of Jesus. The words seem to be his words. The setting certainly seems to be a setting that he would have found himself in. And of course, the message is consistent with the message that the Gospel of John communicates and Scripture at large communicates. So not to just skim over the surface there, but our point is not a talk on textual criticism. I encourage you to look at that. There's some great resources. CT can, of course, help you with that. Tell him I said that. And uh, I could help you as well if you want to email me. Uh, but the point is to look at the text that's found in the Gospel of John about the forgiveness of sin. Now, with that being said, if you would, I love it when people stand for the reading of Scripture. Please go ahead and stand, and let's read this passage together. We'll stand uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. The Gospel of John says this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to see him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. In placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him. And they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. 
And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. You may be seated. May God be honored by the reading of his word. As we look at this passage, it is very interesting to see, as we want to focus on the importance of the forgiveness of sin. And it's not so much the forgiveness of sin as we want to highlight the forgiveness of sins. As we look at the topic of sin, we understand that there are a few different categories. We could look at what we call transgression, which of course is a willingness, the breaking of the sin. We could look at iniquity, which is a more deeply rooted, uh, perhaps a premeditated choice to sin. There's some various different categories here. But what I want us to do is I, I want us to look at the text and just try to glean from it what it is that the evangelist John is trying to communicate about the life and ministry of Jesus for us even today. Now to do this, I want to just paint a little bit of a picture for you. There I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And as I was in Louisville, one of the blessings and challenges of seminary is UPS. And at UPS, many seminarians will work at UPS because at least at that time, You could work for UPS, and while the hourly rage wasn't all that great, what happened was, after a month, you received full health care benefits for your family, paid for. That was huge. And so there I was in seminary, full-time student, pastoring a church part-time. I had a wife, and I had my firstborn at home, and so I was working at UPS so that my wife wouldn't have to work full-time, and she could be with our newborn daughter. Well, like most mornings, the alarm went off about 2 o'clock in the morning. I woke up, I put on my work clothes, I grabbed a few snacks, and on my way I went for about a 20-minute drive along the desolate interstates there around Louisville at 2.30 in the morning. Now, this particular morning I was running a little bit late. Now, you might be better than me, but when I'm running late, I tend to go a little bit faster in my car. Nobody else does that, do you? All right. I do not condemn you, all right? But here's what happened. I'm cruising along. There's no cars in sight. It's dark as could be. And I come upon a construction zone. I've been in this construction zone before, and we all know construction zones. Why in the world do they have construction zones with barrels when no construction is happening? Right? Amen? Then also, they have at the beginning of the construction zone a sign. The speed limit was normally 65, and on this particular morning, now the construction zone was 50. I took that as a suggestion. (laughs) Mind you, I'm running a little bit late. And so there I go, cruising. There's no one in sight at this construction zone. No workers, no work equipment, nothing except these orange barrels and this speed limit suggestion sign. Sure enough, not a minute later, do I realize somebody else is on that highway with me. I see the lights in the mirror, and I pull over. And there I am, pleading my case before the police officer. Sir, I'm on my way from work. I'm a seminary student. I've got a wife and kid at home. None of it worked. And mind you, by the way, internally, while I'm sitting there saying the niceties to the officer, as I'm supposed to say, yes, sir, no, I didn't realize I was going that fast. 
Sir, there was nothing here. I thought it would be okay. What would be okay, to go that fast? Well, sir, like I said, and I'm sitting here condemning the police officer in my heart because it's his fault that I am being accused of something wrong, right? That's where my heart is at the moment. And to make matters worse, what always happens when you, well, maybe you've never experienced this. As you're pulled over by the police officer, pleading your innocence, what happens? People start to go by you. And what happens in your, well, this is what happened in my heart. Maybe you're better than I am. Why didn't he just wait a little bit longer and he could have got that person? Because certainly that person looks like they're going faster than I was going. Right? So not only am I condemning the police officer for wasting his time, I'm also condemning that person who just sped by me for them speeding, and I'm condemning the police officer for not catching that person in speeding, all because of a suggested speed limit sign, which was really the speed limit. So what have I done in that moment? In that moment, not only am I trying to subvert the law, but I'm also condemning the people who might be innocent. I'm taking in that moment a place of, instead of giving grace, to being someone who is condemning others. It's not a good place to be. And I think that's one of the reasons why we look at this passage and we see really three main characters. We see Jesus. We see this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And we see the Pharisees and the scribes, who instead of bringing this woman to Jesus for forgiveness, brings her to Jesus for condemnation. You see, many of us, if we're honest, we find ourselves to be more like the Pharisees. Instead of seeking to bring people to Jesus for forgiveness, we point out their error and we talk to them in condemnation. That's one of the challenges of the text today. It's one of the challenges as we look at a simple phrase like Jesus forgives sins. And as we go through this text today, I just want to challenge you and I want to ask you, which one are you? Are you like the woman who eventually said, Lord, no one is here. And he says to her, go therefore. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Or are you like the Pharisees who came and sought to have her put to death? Well, first, let's just begin to look at the text here. And our first point, forgiveness requires awareness of guilt. The Bible says early in the morning, he came again to the temple. This was Jesus doing what he had done much of his ministry. He'd gone and he had sought out places to teach people. And he'd been in the temple before even teaching people. And so this wasn't an odd setting for him. And the people had gathered around him, and that's what it says. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Well, verse 3 tells us the scribes and the Pharisees. Who are they? Scribes were those who were experts in the law. They were the ones who, keep in mind, first century, how was the word of God distributed? One, it wasn't mass distributed, but the scribes were the ones who would take a copy of the word of God, most likely the law, the first five books, and they had the arduous task of writing and copying 
the text accurately so that other, perhaps, synagogues could use it or others in the temple could use it. It was a very uh, high position that required a lot of trust and a lot of expertise. But you also have the Pharisees, one of the parts of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council there in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. And so these experts in the law bring this woman who had been caught in adultery, is what the text says, and they place her in the midst, and they say to Jesus. So here's the picture. Continue to paint it a little bit. So Jesus is there teaching in the temple, and all of a sudden, the Pharisees and the scribes drag into the temple area this woman who had most likely been dragged out of a bedroom and a house, brought against her will to Jesus. That's not a very pleasant picture. And so not only is the woman most likely scared because her whole world was about to come collapsing in, but she was also being shamed. And she was also being brought before Jesus and being brought by those who knew that she could be put to death for the situation they just found her in. Now as you begin to construct what was going on as well, you begin to understand that she was caught in adultery. So this is telling us that she was actually caught in the act of it. Now how would that have happened? Perhaps there was some sort of stakeout, and they knew this woman had a reputation, and they had gotten word that that night she was going to be with a man who was not her husband. And so here's the plan. Let's hide out. And then at the right moment, we're going to burst into the scene and we're going to grab her and we're going to bring her to Jesus. Yes, that's what we'll do because this Jesus guy, we don't necessarily like what he's doing. He's not only healing people, he's not only taking away and undermining our authority, but he's also forgiving people of their sin. And if he claims to be God, let's see what he does in this situation where he is supposed to uphold the law and stone her. And so that's the situation that they bring this woman into. After all, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. There is the condemnation, and there is the accusation, and there is also the testing of Jesus and what he is going to do and who he is. In fact, the text tells us they asked Jesus, so what do you say? What do you say? Verse 6. John comments under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They said this to test him. So this was a test for Jesus. This Jesus, what is he going to do? Is he going to be somebody who upholds the law? Because if he upholds the law, and he casts the stones, and he puts her to death as the law says, then this will undermine his ministry of grace and mercy that he's been talking about and preaching for the last few years. Ah, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't cast the stone, then he's not really who he says he is because he's not following the law. And so this was the idea that the Pharisees and the scribes had come up with. 
And they knew that Jesus knew the law. And when they did this, they knew Leviticus 20.10, which commands the nation of Israel to stone a person who had been caught in adultery. And they knew Deuteronomy when the second giving of the law was given to the people that were getting ready to go into the promised land. It says that those who are caught in adultery are supposed to be put to death. Now here's what was happening though. The scribes and the Pharisees were kind of playing with the law, you might say. Because if they had been true to the law, and they knew this, but they thought perhaps we can get a little bit of out here, that both persons caught in adultery were supposed to be brought into public and both were supposed to be stoned. But notice missing from the text is the other person. After all, it takes two to commit adultery, right? So the text goes on. We have the law of Moses. We have Jesus understanding and teaching the law. And we have the Pharisees and the scribes testing Jesus according to the law, and then we have, we can't lose sight of this, the crowd watching what's going on, wondering, what is Jesus going to do? And should I step in and stone this woman as well? And then we have the woman who was caught in adultery, having been shamed, having been judged, and now on the verge of being executed. What will happen? Verse 6, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. We're told of their motive. Notice what is happening here. They are using the law to condemn instead of using the law to bring condemnation and an understanding of forgiveness. That's huge as you look at this text here. And it finds ourselves to be in this position, as I presented earlier. What about you? What about you? Are you finding yourself 